to be here, aren't we, Esteban? Yes, we are, because we've got a great guest. We have an amazing guest. Her name is Ariel Hyatt, and she's the author <laughs> of f four or 15 books. She's author of many things, but she runs a company called Cyber PR, mm -hmm. which we're going to get into. Right. And uh, we want to get into a number of things real quick. Uh, I'm your professor, David Kirk Philp, along with my associate professor, Dr. Esteban Marconi, who's more than an associate professor, but I'm an associate professor. That's professor right. Now. Congratulations oh, to yeah. him. Yes, right, Ashley? Yeah, thank you. Uh, we should say hi to Ashley. Right, because well, Ash our engineer extraordinaire is here. Hi, Ashley. Ashley also clapped in a, a whisper. <laughs> yes, it, it's, it's a very quiet show tonight. <laughs> yes, uh, we want you to know out. that um, in the back when we're listening to Rob Fusaris, Don't Let Love Down. Thank you, Rob. And uh, go to musicbiz101wp.com. Sign up for the newsletter. Follow us on Instagram, the Twitter, the Fest the Book. At Music Biz 101 WP. The WP guess Ashley, what do you think the WP stands for? I don't, you know. It's tough. It is tough. You know, it, maybe William Patterson. Yes, University. yes. Ding, 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 ding. Wow. Good, maybe, good job, Ashley. Yeah, well, maybe. there is, because this is the campus of William Patterson the University. We want to give thanks to the folks at Van Dyne, Bruno Inc., and White Hat Management, mm -hmm. with artists like Charlie Puth, Dave Matthews, and Kiss. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to VB. CPA.com when it's good for you. We also want to remind you, while we'll, we will be talking to Ariel Hyatt, author of 29 books, each God, book... They keep going okay, up. I know. Uh, by she the end of this pod, uh, podcast, she will be, have uh, uh, written 68 books, each one about Russia's involvement with right. Facebook. Right. But we wrote a book, and it's called Managing Your Bad. Six, uh, six, six edition managing your band. Yes, it is, and it's out, and it's doing very well. Extremely well. And I found an error in it the other night. Actually, yesterday morning, Yes. Raymond Brown found the error. Who is Raymond Brown? Isn't he a pop student? Raymond... I don't know. African-American, he sang at the last um, midday, uh, you know what you call it. Oh, I just call everybody Arthur. His name so, is so, Arthur? <laughs> his name is not Arthur, no. But, mm. uh, well, anyway, okay, so he found a, he does a, know a, who a, I'm a mechanical about. error. Yes, I do. Yes. I can't, yeah. Anthony and, Brown is his name. Anthony. And Anthony. we looked at it, I don't know how many times, we looked at it, we looked at it, we looked at it, and you and I never caught it. No. And neither did our proofreader. Crackerjack proofreader. 
<laughs> yes, you're proofread it. I don't know how many times. Return on that one. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but um, yes, so this is available Amazon, Barnes and Noble, BackwingStore.com. Also available on Kindle. Of course, we're talking about managing your band sixth edition. Mm-hmm. And I'm done. I don't have any more to say about myself or Dr. Okay, Stavon. Well, a good show. Ashley, uh, should we pipe in our guest and have her pipe in? I think that'd be a great idea. Ariel Hyatt of Hyatt Hotels. Are you with us, Ariel Hyatt? I am with you. And I am. I, this has been the most delightful intro to listen to. I've been cracking <laughs> up the whole time. Boy. That is great. Well, we're, we brought our A game for you tonight. Right. Usually it's, it's like a C plus, B minus, very average, but we're above average for you tonight because we think you're special. My first job was at WNEW-FM. You're just bringing it all back tonight. Wow. What did you do at NEW? I was the associate producer to the morning show, which is basically just like a way of saying intern um yeah. my first job my first job out of college wow okay was that uh the dave herman rock and roll morning show or before I wish, that i wish it was it was the short-lived paraquat kelly in the morning show oh god i it don't even remember very, that it was a very dark time we were <laughs> up against um we were up against howard stern and it was just everywhere we went we were basically pelted with eggs <laughs> What, so when was that? Is this around 90? Close. It was 1993. 90. It was wow. fall, fall, winter of 93. And I think it was it was right after that disaster that they went to an all-music all format because they knew they just couldn't compete with Howard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Right. So you were right after Dave Herman. Exactly. You, yeah, okay. Dave Herman, who I did not know had passed away. Oh, um, Dave Herman, for those of you who don't know who we're talking about, was the uh, morning show on-air personality on WNEW when it was a rock station. Mm-hmm. And he had some <clears throat> real bad personal issues uh, at the end of his life. And uh, our friend Steve Leeds, mm-hmm. was, Steve was friends with Dave Herman. Yes, then, I believe friend, he was. They were friendly together. And then Dave lost his job, lost a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then... He died. I don't remember what Steve Leeds said uh, not too long ago. Yeah, he died. I go, I didn't well, even know that, but it was too bad. Too bad. Anyway, a brighter note. Brighter note. Ariel Hyatt is alive and with us tonight. Ariel Hyatt, everybody. Yes. The cyber. And Ariel, I met you at Mia in New Orleans probably six, seven it's years ago. It's amazing how, how time flies like. Yeah, I was thinking about that. It's in, but I think it is about six, seven years. Uh, since that time. It is. It is. Sounds like you guys had a really good time. Too. Yeah, it was great, yeah. wasn't it? Yes. No, as good as our intro. Anyway, uh, let's get... Not as good as the intro, for sure. <laughs> if we can get start to get serious. So, what prompted you, actually, to get into PR and to get into uh, all these uh, great um, advice books for the DIY musician? And we know they need it. So after uh, WNEW, <laughs> um, I went to work at a amazing record label. Um, it was my first real paid job. And it was What Are Records, owned by Rob Gordon, who had been very unceremoniously fired from EMI. Mm-hmm. And he had, a, he had a genius and a brilliance and um, decided he was going to go to war, quite literally, what are records, W-A-R, 
And we were 12 snotty-nosed little 20-somethings, and we managed to sell a million albums of a band that Clive Davis had dropped from Arista uh. before, before anyone even knew what had happened. Uh. So it was, it was pretty amazing times. It was the salad days. That was 94, 95. And I quickly transitioned out of there. I got a job as a concert, at a concert promotions company. And I decided I didn't like uh, ripping off artists for a living. Mm. And I started my own PR firm at age 24. Mm-hmm. And that was back in the day when you still wrote press releases and faxed them and left phone messages and was very old school PR. Mm-hmm. And I realized because my phone kept ringing and it would be artists saying, are you a publishing company? And I would say, no, I'm a publicity <laughs> firm. <laughs> so there was really no internet then. No one, you know, it was, mm-hmm. the, it was the, the days before you could just Google anything. And I realized so many artists didn't even understand what, what PR was or what anything was. So I started writing these little articles and posting them on my website and the articles turned into books and the books turned into my blog, which now has hundreds of articles, but it was sort of my way of educating the community because I realized a, I could never keep up with all the phone calls of the artist calling to say, you know, what is PR? How do I do it? I can't afford you, but can you help me? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's my give back. It really, I, I love explaining things that feel confusing and, you know, both, both my parents are artists. So I kind of understand how hard it is to navigate business stuff when you have an artistic mind. Mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of where all that came from. Yeah. It's interesting because we put this, uh, one of the um, objectives of this show uh, that I always wanted to do. And now we've been doing it for about three years was actually a service for DIY musicians so that we'd have all these industry personnel on and they could call in, now they tweet, but they could call in with questions pertaining to their own uh, career. And I always thought it'd be a great thing to to do that on the radio so that, you know, so many, they're starving. They, you know, and I was on Epic Records in the 70s and so on and I was never made it, so I was starving as well. And it was an idea that I always had to sort of pay back as well because I had moved on to uh, basically taking what I learned on the road for four or five years, opening up from for uh, everyone from Hendrix to um, the birds and bringing that, you know, into the classroom for musicians so that musicians could protect themselves. And I defied many of the business people by telling them that if you give them the information, musicians can balance a checkbook and they can come in on the budget and so on and so forth. So that was really part of the impetus of, of, uh, of this show. And deep, deeply, deeply needed as, as we all know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you did the, um, PR angle because that was what you loved or that's what you felt very comfortable with or was that the questions you were getting when uh, when they called you? So I had interned in high school and all the way through college at PR firms, although not in the music business. I was in fashion. Mm-hmm. realized fashion was not my passion, but I was really into music and 
I was a natural communicator, so publicity, I, I took to it very easily and, and like it very much. I'm also a total extrovert. So uh, if, if any of you have ever met a traditional publicist, you know the quality is you need to be extroverted and mm-hmm. um, you have to be not scared to take risks and ask people for things because it's basically a giant sales job. Right. And so I was really into it. I, I really I do love connecting. Mm-hmm. Um, so so publicity was sort of my side of it. Of course, at the record label, I learned it was a small label and we all worked in one room. So I learned all the different pieces, mm-hmm. which I think nowadays anyone that does anything at all in any part of the music industry really needs to understand what everyone else is doing or else you're not valuable to your clients that you serve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um so I was very lucky to be at a label and at a concert promotions company. I owned a booking agency for a little while um, and did very well as an agent. And in the end, after every single band I signed dumped me and went to CAA or, or you know, mm. William Morris, it was too heartbreaking. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I ran a street team uh, company for a little while, just doing old school promotions. So we've, we've always kind of had our fingers in other areas because when you do publicity, that's what happens. Other opportunities present themselves. Mm-hmm. But but that's still the core of what we do today at Cyber PR. Although now I refuse to just do publicity in a silo because that, that doesn't help artists at all. You really need to help them to strategize, to make long-term plans, to figure out paths to monetization. And yeah. Publicity on its own, sadly, does not do that. Yeah, and they we when we talk to uh, various PR people, they wind up almost managing the bands that don't have management. Literally, they're, we're the only people that will come to the phone yeah. uh, because that's sadly the role. It's true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, one of our colleagues, George Dassinger, who does some. Uh, adjunct work here has his own PR company called Dassinger Creative. He was and, uh, he was at Electra for years in the in the nineties. Yeah, what was the big in company the he was with? Uh, oh, he was sitting with. Keep talking. I'll yeah, get okay. It. Anyway, so anyway, he did was doing Cowan, PR. What? Cowan C O W A N. Something at Rogers and Cowan. Right. Rogers and Cowan, That's yeah. Right. They're okay. the Rolling Stones publicist. Right. Yes, Very and com- he worked with them and all sorts of yeah. Of then acts. He, right. He yeah. was on. He was. Had a publicity for Electra too. I don't think he was vice president, maybe a director or some level. Right. But but his, his, he was working with Little Anthony, uh, who and helped get him elected to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But he ultimately became last time we talked to him, basically Little Anthony's manager because yeah. of exactly what you guys are talking about. Exactly. Yeah. That he's there all the time. He's doing everything. He might as well, you know, be called the manager. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see it all the time. Catherine Schenker was the police's publicist and became Sting's manager. I mean, this is a, a sort of a normal, natural path for a publicist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how has it changed in the last, let's say, 10 years, the oh, role God. of a publicist? It has changed. It still continues to change. I, I would have to say that if you're not an incredibly adaptable human, this is not the job for you. Mm. Um, obviously, we went from old-school PR to the digital domain and you know every six months I feel like I need to master a whole new suite of tools 
Facebook ads is kind of big now, and we're looking at Snapchat and, you know, things that I mm-hmm. have really very little to do with traditional publicity, but it's really changed in that publicity is now possible for everyone who has a Twitter account. And so the old school way of thinking that a publicist is some sort of magical person that, you know, lives behind a fortress with those writers. I mean, that's not true anymore. Mm -hmm. Anyone that is smart who knows how to approach people and sell can now pretty much do their own publicity in many ways. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is not... That's not good news for for publicists, really. <laughs> yeah, but um, we, we we talk to uh, when we teach. I mean, we bring up this all the time that there's so many free ways to keep your name out there and to develop a following and move a passive fan to a fanatic fan, et cetera, et cetera. That uh, it's you can't blame it on uh, a band starting out that said they have no money, so they can't you know, get out there. Totally. And and really what that comes down to is it's not an excuse. It's now about everything is at your fingertips. And we spend a lot of time getting frustrated with our clients that think now that they've hired us, their ship has come in and they get to sit, you know, yeah, rest on their right, laurels. Right. It's not true. I yeah. mean, once you sign a publicist, you better bring them a ton of stuff to publicize or else we can't do our jobs. Yeah. I, I read someplace, and I say it in class, that uh, Snoop Dogg tweets every hour. And if you are obviously a follower of him and he tweets you back, do you imagine how that person feels and how that just radiates to all his fans? Uh, I mean, you know, it's just fantastic. The so, so, Something you can do so easily can uh, touch so many people. Totally. And, you know, he's also hilarious. He makes right. videos that make us all want to cry laughing. I mean, he's brilliant at it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But do, do you think that has a lot to do with it with a successful, let's say it's a DIY artist or band, um, their personality can shine through with the social media that they're using as long as they're not afraid to use it. You know what I'm saying? Because you just mentioned how Soup Dog is funny and it seems like everybody's trying to be so serious out there that they're missing opportunities by really just being themselves. And if there's humor, let the humor come out as opposed to let we have to be so serious about our music and, and talking about the lyrics or just you know, that or just showing pictures of our dog, you know, which isn't that interesting because everybody's showing pictures of the dog or the cat. Yeah, you really do have to find your narrative. And this is really key. And, I mean, anyone out there that's listening, if you're thinking of hiring a publicist, if you don't have a narrative, don't hire a publicist. Mm. Figure out your narrative. And I actually was at Mondo a couple weeks ago, and I was taking notes on all the panels. They were excellent until my hand fell off. And (laughs) that Mm -hmm. is sort of a theme that kept coming up. Like, guys, like, it doesn't matter how many Spotify playlisters you try to get to unless you've got a narrative and a brand and something that you're actually saying and you're right. It doesn't have to be all about the lyrics or about your dog or, you know, if you're not funny and stoned all the time like Snoop, you better mm-hmm. figure out what you are. Are you serious? Are you political? Do you like, you know, taking photos of 
tattoos or architecture or food mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. your hometown or, you know, whatever it is, you better commit to that and make that part of your narrative. And it's really not that hard once you figure it out to kind of go with it. But I see artists struggle all the time. This is really a new normal for us is that you got to figure out what is it that you're talking about? How do you present that? And it can't just always be about your music or come check out my show or buy my stuff because, of course, people hate that. You have to figure out how to be diverse, but not too diverse because you don't want to confuse people. Right. And, you know, what's the tone? You know, are you nasty? Are you funny? Are you Mm -hmm. serious? Do you use big words? Do you use emojis? (laughs) I mean, there's a a hundred ways to express yourself. Right. Yeah, it's uh, almost you have to figure out your brand and don't and it's not really the publicist's job to figure out a brand it's to manage maybe your brand with you but you have to d- determine who you are and you have to be real about it and it has to be believable that's true but i think it should be the publicist's job to help you identify mm-hmm. that and i i see crimes committed all day long where artists come to me and say well i hired a publicist and I say, really? You only have 100 Facebook followers. Or really, all of your photographs, you look completely different in every photo. Or really? Mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. Wh- I mean, your bio sucks. Mm-hmm. Why would a publicist, in good conscience, take you on if, if these foundations are not in place? Mm-hmm. And this is the scourge of the industry. I mean, we hear this all the time. Also, radio promoters, the other offenders, like, yeah, I can work your stuff to radio. It's like, okay, what is that doing? And I think you'll end up disappointed if you haven't identified those foundational basics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good point. Well, what what are some uh, tips for people who are trying to? I, I I think about it like this: like if I'm just hanging out with my friends, and let's say I'm I'm a 22 year old guy, I'm single, I'm hanging out with my friends, and we're fooling around, and I'm the funniest guy, I'm the life of the party. I want to ask a girl out. I all of a sudden I go to that girl, and I freeze up. I don't know what to say. I'm not myself, and I feel all this pressure. I got to, you know, and I feel like bands are like that when it comes to social media. They're whatever they are on stage or off stage or in their private moments. Once they get to social media, all of a sudden, it's almost like they freeze up. And what do I say? I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't I don't know who I am. You know, it's, it's like they lose that. How what are some tips that bands and artists can use so that they can break through that? I don't, I don't want to call, uh, I'm trying to think of what it is, just so that they can break through and be themselves mm-hmm. and figure out who they are. Well, I'm going to point you right to my website. If you go to cyberpuremusic.com, search for crowd ID exercise. I have created a system for this where download it on my site. It's free. You just stick your email address in there and you'll get a questionnaire. And the questionnaire asks some very important questions. And... I think part of what you need to do to identify what the heck to talk about is ask yourself first and foremost, who are you talking to? Which a lot of artists, I think we get completely freaked out. Like we know there's 2 billion people on Facebook and there's 750 million people on Instagram and blah, blah, blah. The numbers are huge. And I think when it comes to social media, we get frozen because we're trying to, you know, get all those people to like us all at once. To have a successful career, you don't have to have 2 billion people. You have to have, if we want to go back to Kevin Kelly, you have to have a 1,000 true fans. Mm -hmm. So 
asking yourself, what does my ideal audience member like? Is he also 22 and single? And is he the life of the party? And, you know, does he like, what does he do on his time off? And what blogs does he read? Or what magazines would he subscribe to? Or what does he do in his free time? What does he like to eat? Where does he like to go? You know, what, is he like a science nerd and he's watching Star Wars? Or is he out hiking? Or is he surfing? Or you have to figure out what is it that would be appealing to your ultimate fan? You know, what other artists does he like? What does the brand of those artists look like? What other shows is he going to when he's not at yours? And once you can identify that person, try to talk only to that person. Don't try to be everything to everyone. Mm -hmm. So identify your ideal crowd member. So maybe it's Mary, and Mary is also 22 and single, and I don't know, she has uh, a ton of tattoos, and she works at a skate shop, and she goes to school part-time, and she's obsessed with punk rock and psych rock. Okay, well, now you've got a profile of a human being to promote to. And so if you could figure out what Mary likes, that is a really powerful way to aim your social media. I also advise try to come up with five themes and stick to just five. And ask yourself every time you're about to post, is this falling into the five? And if it's not, don't post it. And so obviously, number one is your music and things relating to your artistry, your, your shows, your band, your releases, your singles, videos, any kind of content that's music related. And then from there, think about what else is interesting. Is it interesting that you live in Brooklyn? Is it interesting that you have a day job and you're a chef? Is it interesting that you love science fiction movies? I don't know. Everybody has things about them. Write down those five things and then think about what color are those five things? Is it red? Is it blue? Is it black and white? Is it super modern? Is it, is it, does it have emojis all over it or gifs or gifs or is it funny? You know, figure out what the tone should look like. And this will help you to really hone in on what to post. Yeah. And then from there, create a library. I know this sounds ridiculous. You know, you, you wouldn't be so lost if you actually could go to your phone and you had, I don't know, 50 different photos or things that were already typed out that were kind of themes. And that way you won't be at a loss and you can figure out exactly what to post that fits in with your themes. That's great because we, we talk in, in class uh, and we we talk about social media People and say, what do you do okay. when you don't have anything to post? And so we actually went to the Warner Music Group a few weeks ago, and one of our students asked this band called Arizona and said, "What do you guys do when you don't know what you what to post when you're like kind of stuck?" And they said, "When you find the answer to that, let us know." Mm -hmm. And one thing that, that you're preaching right now is something that uh, I think totally makes sense in that. When you have time to brainstorm, sit down and, like you said, write down these themes, come up with all this information, create your catalog of, of pictures and videos and boomerangs and memes and gifts and all that stuff 
so that on the days when you have no idea what you're going to post, you have some things there that are that fit the themes. Do you agree that I'm kind of on the right track? You can tell me I'm an idiot. I, I accept that. No, that's that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. And also identify like your ten spirit animals online. You know, are you following other artists? Are you following? I don't know. Maybe cool guitar companies that have like really nice instruments or maybe you follow a music studio because they've got really cool vintage equipment or I follow the fat Jewish because it makes me fall off my chair laughing because I think that his posts are hysterical. Mm -hmm. You have to just figure out like what makes you laugh or makes you moved in some way. Maybe you like inspirational quotes because you're doing like meditation music. I don't know. Everybody's got something Mm -hmm. that moves them. Yeah. And make a list of like, here's 10 people that really inspire me. Like maybe you're really inspired by, you know, deep, deep bloggers that are blogging about, you know, politics, I, whatever it is you figure out. Cause on those days you could just retweet their stuff or comment about something they're doing or write a review of your favorite band that you've seen recently and shine a light on someone else. Yeah. So she's basically funneling it down instead of just sitting there going, I've got these millions of possibilities. Right. You know, write down the five things and write down the ten people, and you'll start to funnel yourself down to really recognizing yourself, I think is the best way to say it. Yeah. That's great. Totally. Well, good night. No, I I was ready to say something. (laughs) To you, um, on, on your website... You talk about the importance of several times of the newsletter. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yes, I do. So this is something that a lot of us have totally ignored because we're on Facebook and we're on Twitter and we're Snapchatting and we're Instagramming and there's so many things. But it is still proven that a newsletter is one email address is still 40 times more valuable to you and to your brand and to your monetization than a Facebook, a Twitter, or any social media account. And I just see artists so often ignoring their newsletter. They don't know what to say. They don't know how to use MailChimp. They have a million excuses as to why they don't want to do it. Mm. But this is still so vital. And I know for those of you that are listening that are artists, you're like rolling your eyes like, I hate when those other artists send me their stupid newsletters. You are not the target audience. The target audience is the person that goes to a show and is excited. That's not you. That You're judging the other artist. You're doing your artist thing. That's different than the person. I I am a fan of music. I'm not an artist. I don't know how to make music. I am that nerd. I still go to shows, and I count how many purple lights are on the stage because it's cool. Like, I'm that. So think about that person. That is your average person that wants to sign up to your mailing list. And you also, the art of writing a good newsletter is, it's not easy. You have to ask yourself, why would someone want to take five minutes out of their day when there's a hundred other stupid emails in their inbox and read yours? So you want to make sure that you are serving them fantastic content and that is the that's the hardest part about writing a newsletter and then the other part is really keeping the newsletter up to date sending it out regularly testing what time of day and week and month to send it all of that is science and all of that is learnable 
the beautiful thing about the internet is everybody has already done something that you can mm. get inspired by. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying copy, but every artist, if you have not signed up to 10 other artists' newsletters and read them, you are an idiot. Mm-hmm. You go sign up, read. Who is it? Whose newsletters turn you on? Whose make you laugh? Whose do you want to open? Whose are boring? Whose are funny? Whose have video content? Look to see what they are doing. And look to some of the major label artists. Look to the larger artists that you admire because there's a team of people getting paid a lot of money that understand the science of newsletters. Mm -hmm. I recently um, was the moderator at a panel, and it was the head of every record label. I was so intimidated. I thought I was going to throw up. And I said, (laughs) okay, guys, you know, what are you doing? And they all said, we are looking at newsletters, we're looking at open rates, we're looking at merchandise, we're looking at where to place links, we're looking at retargeting audiences on Facebook from newsletters, from emails. And I thought, oh my God, if artists who are independent don't get on board with this, we are going to all get left in the in the dust. Mm-hmm. So your newsletter is important. It is, you own it. It is your shingle to own you don't own Facebook, you don't own Instagram, you don't own Twitter, you don't own Snapchat. They could all change the rules tomorrow. Hello, MySpace. And you could be left with big problems if you do not build your mailing list. Mm -hmm. So it's crucial. We actually, uh, Dave puts out a newsletter for this radio show twice a week. That is true. I do that. He's not lying to you. No, Sundays and Wednesdays. Yes. And uh, actually, we will add you to our email list if you want to. It's up to you, though. We we want to ask your permission, though. But, you know, we believe in just what you're saying. We believe in in that as well. And the importance of getting email addresses. I mean, you know, the number of companies that pay millions for email addresses, and you could be getting them at every show you do. Right. Well, yeah, and and two things on that. I mean, notice how I I was, it sounded like I was joking, but I was actually asking your permission because I don't want to just add you. And then, so it's important that people know that you can't just add everybody you know to your email list because, well, why is, you tell us, why is that the wrong thing to do? Unless you Uh, It's actually illegal. There's something (laughs) called the Can Spam Act. Right. Um, So this is why you want to use something like MailChimp or. There's about a million. You could use Constant Contact. You can use Reverb Nation. You can use FanBridge. You can use whatever you want, Host Baby, to manage your email list because there needs to be that little link at the bottom that says, don't want to be on my email list anymore? Click here to unsubscribe. But the other reason why you want that is you want to know how many people are opening your email. Is it fruitful if you send an email on a Saturday morning or is it better on a Thursday evening? I mean, you need to understand your fan base and what what works for them obviously you've got a formula that works for this radio show twice a week and i'm sure that the people that open your newsletters they're waiting for it and they understand those are the two days that it is coming right Mm -hmm. and it's yeah and that's the consistency yeah which is another thing you could get into if you wanted about social media and the importance of being consistent with what you're doing and i would say that this is the hardest part of being an artist in 2017 and in in any recent time is the exhaustion that this consistency Mm -hmm. creates for us. It's not for anyone listening, like rolling their eyes and going, Oh my God, I can't do this. 
I'm not saying any of this is fair. I think artists, when I started 25 years ago, they didn't have to worry about, you know, five Facebook posts a week and six Instagram posts and three tweets a day and, how you know, mm-hmm. monthly newsletters or weekly or whatever. It was much easier to not think about all that stuff. And this is truly the bad news. But like I say to every client that comes to us, like, if you're not willing to do this, there's another artist that is, and they're going to surpass you. So get it together and do this or find someone in your band that's really good at this or hire someone to help you with this. But this is not something that you can ignore. You're not going to get the result you want if you don't have that consistency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. One more, uh, two steps back to the newsletter again, because you were bringing it up, and I think it's really important, the, the power of the email list. And I can't tell you how many students I've told who are, who are gigging fairly regularly, and I've asked, so how many email addresses did you get from that gig? I have a, a friend, uh, a student who graduated, who just did a 10-city tour, uh, and he just got back and said, tell me about your email list. How many emails did you get from all these gigs? Because he said, this was good, this was good, this city. And... He didn't do anything with his email list. And I think the issue may be, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that a lot of the, on the younger millennial side, because they're not doing much with email and they're focusing on, focusing on, let's say, Snapchat, they're assuming that their audience won't open an email or they just don't want to do it because they're focusing on Snapchat. And now you can, again, give the praise to email and the existence of it. I mean, I can, and I, I get it. You know, you might not have the kind of list that, say, an Amanda Palmer built in the knots, but it's still important. I heard a really great statistic from HubSpot last week. There's 2 billion Facebook accounts, but there's 3.9 billion email addresses. And, Mm. you know, people use email every day for work, every day for things. Email, you know, ain't nobody sending you a restaurant reservation through OpenTable on your Snapchat. Like, people still need to use email. Mm -hmm. So I get it. It's probably not as robust. And a lot of my millennial and younger clients do say to me, like, hey, you know, people don't really want to sign up. I'm like, that's fine. So maybe your mailing list will have 1,000 people on it and not 10,000 people. But when it is time for you to do your crowdfunding campaign – you want to have those thousand people's email addresses ready to go when you ask for money. So this is critical and important. Mm -hmm. If maybe not email, try to get a text message together. Maybe you could do some texting and test how that works for you. But you just want something that is owned and is yours. And Facebook is not yours. Like I just said, all those Mm -hmm. other tools Mm -hmm. on social and as we learned with Facebook, nobody sees a darn thing unless you pay them now, which sucks. And artists call us crying all the time. Like, I used to get 20,000 likes for everything, and now I get three. I'm like, yes, that's because Facebook knows, and they're trying to squeeze money out of you because mm-hmm. they are a publicly traded company. <laughs> that is their job. Mm-hmm. So, and, it, and it's impossible for an independent artist to compete with giant brands that have tons of money and 
million dollar Facebook ad spends. I mean, you can't even, it's like Davy and Goliath. You still need to pay for Facebook advertising and that's part of it. But again, Facebook keeps shape shifting and they keep changing the rules and email rules don't change. You get the email, you open it, you click on something. That's it. So it's very important to build that newsletter list and to always get back to that and focus time and energy on it. Ariel Hyatt of Cyber PR. We have a question for you. It is via tweet. It will be read to you by one of our students, Ashley Weltner, who is also the engineer extraordinaire of this program, and she's mm-hmm. very happy to meet you. Ashley, go. All right. This is a question from John Kaplan. Oh, he, he's one of my classes. Um, what is the most common flaw in execution that you see among people who are trying to grow their online presence? Hi, John. Great question. I think the most common flaw is it's sort of like internet dating. It's that sense of desperation. Mm. So it's, it's like, Hey, check me out. Hey, buy my stuff. Hey, come to my show. Hey, buy this thing. Hey, you know, you have to be really careful that you're not always selling or asking for too much. The reason why everybody loves Snoop Dogg is he is funny. He's funny. Like it's, I'm going to go on that tweet stream and I'm going to laugh. What are you doing that is a give back as opposed to a take? And this is really hard to do. I mean, we, we are impatient. We've got music out. It's up. It's on Spotify. We want us to do all these things. Ask yourself, how do I give? How can I help? How can I amuse, entertain? How can I be thoughtful as opposed to how can I get what I want? Because if you can be thoughtful, you're going to get what you want. For any gentleman that's ever held a door open for a woman, think about that action. It's kind. It's polite. It's nice. It leads to a better day. Think about how can I hold the door open for someone on Facebook tomorrow? Hmm. We have another tweet. Yes, we have another tweet for you, read by Ashley, our engineer extraordinaire. Ashley, please go. All right. This one's (laughs) from Chadwick. What advice do you have for students pursuing PR? Mm. Okay, two pieces of advice for this. Number one, find a band and start doing PR. Mm. I think you probably know 60 or 70 or 80 artists. Don't even charge them. Just do it. When I was 24 years old and I all of a sudden had a PR firm, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to starve to death if I don't figure this out. So I plugged my computer into the wall and... I created a business and you can do that too. Mm -hmm. Second thing that I would say is if you don't read music blogs and if you don't understand hype machine and if you don't live, sleep, eat, die, breathe music blogs and understand who the players are, why they're important, what genres are trending, what looks and feels on social media are happening, you are not a publicist. Mm. That's great. That's great. And it's important that you're, you're mentioning, you're not mentioning at all print media. At all. You're not talking about, about the newspapers. About being a good writer. Yeah, you're talking about, it's, it's all on, would you say it's, how, what percentage is online? It sounds like it's tremendous percentage. <laughs> it is. We it know is that. a tremendous percentage. I mean, of course, every newspaper, magazine, television show, they all have online properties as well. Mm-hmm. So all of that is now online. 
But, you know, I started in old school PR with press releases and magazines and newspapers and television. And that is reserved for a very elite few. I mean, I can't tell you how many tiny independent artists call me and they say, I want to get in the New York Times. And I'm like, really? Okay. (laughs) That's a really good goal. And that's a really good goal for five years from now. But you have 600 Twitter followers. You're not getting in the New York Times. It's not happening. So traditional media is still, of course, valuable and important. But it's not where you're going to start. And so understanding the music blogs, the podcasts, the Spotify playlisters, these are the new television, radio, and magazines. Mm-hmm. So is that something when the weekend comes around in your spare time, are you looking for podcasts and looking for all this stuff and looking for new things and, and constantly reading and, and Googling and things like that? We, uh, we are. My whole team is. And I mean, Molly Bokenhide, who is my amazing PR director, who I am almost old enough to be her mother, she, she does this. You know, she, she every day on her way to work on the subway sits on the G train and she researches, you know, what's trending on the blogs, what's happening on the blogs. And for artists that are listening too, you, you need to understand what music blogs are and understand where each of them belong, it's really important to do this because you can't possibly hire a publicist or a friend to do your PR if you don't understand what the targets are. Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another, another one? Yeah, another tweet read by Ashley, uh, engineer extraordinaire. Take <laughs> it away, Ashley. This is one from Corey, and it is, what is the highest risk PR event or stunt that you have had a hand, that you had a hand in? Was it worth it? So I'm not a sensationalist publicist. I work with independent artists that are in the emerging world. So I have a different purview. But I can tell you that I was the publicist on record when George Clinton got arrested with crack at a gas station Mm -hmm. and I was working for George for many years and it was a really humbling and horrible experience because that was the time that I realized the power of the media. I had been working for George Clinton for at least three years and I had tried so hard to get him on the national stage. I called Rolling Stone. I called Spin. I called NPR. I called the late night shows. I called all the big radio stations, et cetera. I called the New York times. Mm-hmm. And the minute George got arrested, his management called and they said, you have two words to say to the media, no comment. And of course that's fair. When someone is arrested and thrown in prison, you're not going to say anything until we know what's going to happen. Right? So there I was, and it was like the who's who of everyone that I had been trying to get on the phone for 15 years called. John Perellis from the New York Times mm. called. Mm. Rolling Stone called. Rob. Spin called. Greg Cott from the Chicago Tribune, who I had literally left him 10,000 messages. He called. <laughs> and all I could say was no comment. Mm. So that was, um, that was a really interesting experience and the second sort of the bad a really bad thing happened i was um the publicist for a 
a cruise. It was like a jam cruise. It was not the jam cruise. It was a competitive cruise that very sadly didn't last because we pulled out of port and there was a drug overdose and a young woman died on the boat. Mm -hmm. And I was dealing with with crisis PR. You know, there was a young woman in her 20s. She was dead. She was in the morgue. We were in international waters. Mm. And obviously it was a horrible and tragic thing that happened. So it was not a stunt, but it was a really humbling experience. Mm. Mm-hmm. Have you... The whole, the whole sensational PR thing is not my bag. We, we leave that to the Kardashians. <laughs> That's right. You do it very well. Yes. There, there's a lot of crisis management going on in Hollywood right now because uh, sexual harassment scandals are every day you're hearing of something else, whether it's it started the Harvey Weinstein going back a bit to Bill Cosby and then uh, the Kevin Spacey thing is going on. And I did see that Kevin Spacey's already lost his agent and his publicist and people who have been working with him for many years. At what point... Um, do you say, I don't want to deal with this anymore and you need to walk away? And at what point are you, are you still, and I guess it's maybe situation to situation, but at what point are you like, I can do more than just no comment to help fix this? Does my question make sense? Yeah, it does. And this is a really, this is a very high art. Understand that crisis PR, and I used to work with Ellen Solis, who maybe you've had on your show. She's amazing. She was at at um, Epic Records for a long time. And mm-hmm. she was my business partner for a, a hot minute back in the 90s. I knew her, and yes. She, she used to tell me the story of her crisis PR, which is very serious. Um, she worked for um, Tommy Lee, and, and it was that horrible incident when Tommy and Pam Anderson had a party and a, a child drowned in their swimming pool. Yeah. She would often tell me about what that was like. She had to fly to LA. She had to sit down with them. They were, you know, it was, she had to tell them what to do. Mm-hmm. It's very serious. Um, and you have to really understand the art of communication. And I think that is a whole separate genre. If you're, if you're managing an independent artist that's, you know, got integrity and they're not disgusting and they're not sticking their hands down anyone's pants, you most of the time will not be dealing with a crisis. Although I have had quite a few unexpected things happen. And we have a policy at my company. We don't do D-bags. That's our, that's our policy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right. if you have a horrible attitude or if you're treating me like the help or if you do something questionable, I learned a long time ago that it is in my best interest to fire the clients that don't operate with integrity mm-hmm. because defending someone that is not telling you the truth or is doing something unsavory or illegal will only come back to hurt you. I mean, could you imagine being Kevin Spacey's publicist this week? Mm-hmm. That is why that firm is not on record anymore. They're like, nope, you know what? This is not, we're not going down with this ship. Mm-hmm. And there is a time when you walk away, but there is also a time when you stand by your client who needs to be coached. In the case of Ellen, I don't want to give away too much, but I mean, she basically said, you are not to be seen. You are not going to parties. You are not going out. You are not going to go anywhere. You are going to stay inside until a good amount of time goes by because a horrible thing has just happened. And if you Google this incident, you will see 
it did not blow up. It was mm. it, it it was not quieted. It's a horrible thing that happened, but it's not something that everybody remembers because it was excellently managed. Mm-hmm. So it is a really weird time in the media. It's a really weird time where people are not getting away with stuff. If you have a client and you know that they're not doing something savory, my advice as someone who's been doing this for 25 years is cut bait. No mm-hmm. money is good enough if it's someone that has no integrity. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. And I think uh, we need to end it there because that's a very positive thing that you said. Yeah, and the hour's and, up. Yeah, and so we have integrity and we can't go over. Otherwise, we will get canned as well, even though we're not getting paid for this. Mm. But it would still hurt. Ouch. Yes. But our time with you, Ariel, has not hurt. It's been, no, it's it's, been, it's great. Like been a giant bear hug for 55 minutes. We appreciate that, Very Ariel. informational. My pleasure. Thank you for the great questions. And what a delight. to I've been listening to you guys. It's funny. Every time I have a meeting with someone important, I go, oh, God, I better do my research. And sure enough, you have interviewed them. So thank you oh, for... Yeah. Giving me giving me a behind the scenes look for many many people and helping me helping me to prepare for unexpected moments. That is great. Well, we appreciate you. that, yeah. and hopefully unexpectedly we will meet you sometime down the line. I know you and Marconi obviously had that tremendous meeting in New Orleans. Oh, it was that, that was sounds unforgettable. She's, um, a tall African American girl. I think she's <laughs> six four or something. <laughs> right, with with one arm and yes, no legs. I remember that. Yes, that is that. Yes. that. Or 5'2 and half Irish, half Jewish. There, there we go. Well, Ariel Hyatt of Cyber PR. Go to cyberpr.com. Yes? Cyberprmusic.com. Cyberprmusic.com. Yep. And, of course, also the author. Okay, and the recent author of Social Media Tune-Up. So thank you, Ariel. Appreciate it very much. And uh, we'll let you know when the podcast is up and we will rock the social media world. So And tell everybody to check out our stuff over and over and over again. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Ariel. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. And so we want to thank everybody for listening to the show. Next week's guest, Jay Van Dyke, formerly of the Lumineers. Oh, I thought he made ice cream in Ridgewood. That's uh, Dick Van Dyke, who was the star of the Dick Van Dyke show. And he Henry didn't make ice cream in Ridgewood. Van Dyke's ice cream? <laughs> I'm Ridgewood. assuming. is What? In Ridgewood. Okay. Ackerman Ave, I believe. There we go. Okay, so there, there we oh, go. We, we have a, a a young millennial who has no idea where, who Dick Van Dyke is, and uh, you have a still alive. And you're who? Dick, Dick Van, Van Dyke. Dyke is still alive, and 90. we appreciate Dick Van Dyke, who has no he connection to Jay Van Dyke. I think she's forty years old. He married really? someone. Yes, he was on a uh, a special HBO special that uh, Carl Reiner put together, the producer and the filmmaker and of the Dick TV Van Dyke show. show and so, yes. And that the uh, documentary was called um, "I Wake Up, I Read You Bits, If I'm and Then I Have Breakfast." So if his name isn't there because he's ninety something, mm-hmm. then he has breakfast. He knows he's still alive. And he interviewed these people all the way up to one hundred and ten yoga teachers and Norman Lear and mm-hmm. all these people that are doing fantastic things in their nineties. It was a real interesting show. And that's Dick Van Dyke's wife said. I know I get it every day. Why did I? He's twice my age, but look at him. He doesn't look anything like someone who's 90 or acts like they're 90. So that's why I brought that up. But the ice cream is good, too. <laughs> there we yes, go. I would say. Peanut and, butter chocolate chip. That's right. Well, favorite. 
Dr. Esteban Marconi is my piece of chocolate chip for the day. Wow. So that's because you're so sweet. You're such so a sweet So next fan. week we have live people in the studio. As opposed to the dead people we usually have in the studio. Well, yes, Jay Van Dyke and Henry Pohl. Um, they're in a band called Head Cheerleader right now. And Jay Van Dyke was in Lumineers' original drummer and a alum of the music management program at William mm -hmm. Patterson University. And that will be on November 15th, year of our Lord, 2018. So we want to thank you for listening. We want to thank Ashley Weltner for being there and making this happen. Yes. Thank you so much, Ashley Weltner. We want to thank Dr. Esteban Marconi for being well, right Thank you. And my co-host. The one with the mouth who just got tenure and associate professor in one swoop. Yes, I'm very Congrat powerful. Congratulations to him. Thank yes. you very much. And uh, checks in the mail. And I appreciate but you I'm all for listening, of course, to the end of the And you're one day going to get it. So I we want to thank you for so listening. Of course, now. I'm still trying to end the show. I'm still trying to end the show. And so at the end of every show, we do not say hello. That would be silly. Say hello at the end of the very show. That would only be for the foolish people. Instead, at the end of every show, you know what we say, Ashley? And let me hold the yes. We want to say adios. Hey Dave, what do Paul Sinclair from Atlantic, Tom Hefter from Ticketmaster, Rosie Lopez from Tommy Boy, and Heather Ellis from Pandora all have in common? They're all big wigs in the music and entertainment industry, Esteban. And they all hate warm beer. And they've all been guests on the Music Biz 101 and More radio show at 8 o'clock on Wednesday nights. Bingo. If you want to learn more about the music and entertainment biz, tweet in a question and tune in every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock to Music, music Biz 101 and More on Brave New Radio.